0: Today I want to talk about a topic that is becoming increasingly relevant in our world, artificial intelligence. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and we strive to create a just and compassionate world for all. In light of this, it is important that we consider the implications of artificial intelligence and how it may impact our society. On one hand, AI has the potential for greatly benefit humanity. It can help us solve complex problems, automate those tedious tasks, and even save lives. However, we must also consider that in potential downsides of AI, as machines become more intelligent and autonomous, they could replace human workers, leading to job loss, economic insecurity. Additionally, there are concerns about privacy and surveillance, as well as the possibility of AI being used for harmful purposes. So what is our responsibility as Unitarian Universalists in relation to AI? First, we must be aware of the potential consequences of AI and actively work to mitigate the negative impacts. And this may include advocating for policies that protect workers and ensure the benefits of AI are shared equitably. Second, we must strive to create ethical guidelines for the development and use of AI. As AI becomes more advanced, it'll be crucial that we ensure it is aligned with our values and does not harm vulnerable populations. And finally, we must remember that AI is not a neutral technology. It reflects the biases and values of those who create it. As such, we must work to ensure that AI is developed and used in a way that is consistent with our principles of justice and compassion. Artificial intelligence is a powerful tool and with the potential to benefit humanity in many, many ways. However, it's important that we remain mindful that the potential downsides and take steps to ensure that AI align with our values as Unitarian universalists. Let us continue to work toward a just and compassionate world for all and let us strive to create ethical guidelines for the development and use of AI. So here's the thing. I didn't write those words that I just said, and you heard. They were generated by an AI in a matter of seconds. Artificial intelligence chatbot called ChatGPT when the prompt was typed in, write me a sermon about artificial intelligence for a Unitarian Universalist congregation. (laughs) But wait, there's more. It's one thing to write words, right? But AI can't do emotions. Inworld, Boybot, Eevee, Cleverbot, Kewato, Anima, Simsimi, Quiki, see the fact I'm over 10, Chai, and Replica. What are they? They are all AI chat companions. Some text, some talk on phones, they offer to mentor, coach, befriend, play quizzes, provide jokes, provide emotional support. That clever comeback you need at some time, Cleverbot's good at that. But wait, there's more. <laughs> AI is being used as an ad is being used and developed. Where we are in the development to use is a little unclear right now, as an adjunct in psychotherapy. And it may even produce access for people who currently have none with, and there's even conversation about without, a human psychotherapist. One of the developers said the benefit of the chatbot is it's awake at 2 a.m. and on Thanksgiving day. It will never hang up on you, and it will never judge you right? So in the minute of silence to follow, I invite you to reflect on your relationship with artificial intelligence today and what it may look like in 10 years.
1: Charles Darwin was born 214 years ago on February 12, 1809. His birthday has come to be known as International Darwin Day. An annual opportunity to celebrate the principles that guided his life, perpetual curiosity, scientific thinking, and a hunger for truth. These values resonate with our UU fourth principle, the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, as well as our fifth source of reason and science. And one reason it's significant to celebrate Darwin Day in a Unitarian Universalist congregation is that both sides of Darwin's family were in large part Unitarian. Some of our Unitarian and Universalist forebears were also among some of the first religious leaders to embrace the paradigm-shifting implications of Darwin's discoveries. That we humans are not a little lower than the angels, we're just a little higher than the apes with whom we share a common ancestor. In the wake of the Human Genome Project, we know on the DNA level that between humans and chimpanzees, there is a 1.23 percent difference on the DNA level, 1.23. We're 98 point something percent alike. We humans are not special creations. We're one among many evolved species deeply interconnected with the other species on this beautiful planet. As our UU seventh principle affirms, we need to respect the interdependent web of all existence of which we are very much a part Denying our place within the animal kingdom and within the natural world has led to we human beings grievously harming this this, um, planet, and that's why I know many of you are involved in the movement for climate justice. And Darwin is an annual reminder to recalibrate how we humans think about ourselves from a more scientific, a more ecological, and a more evolutionary point of view. That's what Darwin Day is all about. This year for Darwin Day, I want to draw our attention to the ways that many of these Darwinian principles, uh, perpetual curiosity, scientific thinking, a hunger for truth, those same principles that led Darwin to discover you know, natural selection and common descent in the 19th century, here in the 21st century, those same principles are resulting in an evolution of artificial intelligence. In turn, we human beings are again being challenged to recalibrate our place in the grand scheme of things. I've preached about AI one previous time in a sermon titled, The Immigrants Aren't Coming for Your Jobs, The Robots Are. So why revisit this topic five years later? Each summer, I create a draft of our summer service plan for the coming congregational year. And In the middle of that process last June, uh, some of you may remember this, the Washington Post reported that an engineer at Google was raising the alarm that Google's AI chatbot had become sentient. Now, how many of you have seen the 1968 film uh, by Stanley Kubrick, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Right? Well, we're we're a little bit past 2001, and that hasn't quite happened uh, yet, but it's a classic example of science fiction writers speculating that AI will one day become conscious, will one day become self-aware. The most famous scene involves an astronaut named Dave uh, and a sentient AI named Hal, right? Open the pod bay doors, Hal, right? You know, when, when you ask Siri something, you're used to it responding, right? So do your thing, Hal, right? Open the pod bay doors. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you were planning to disconnect me, right? Those of you who have seen the movie know that Hal read their lips, right? They tried to hide it from Hal, but Hal was watching. Hal, I won't argue with any more, you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Now, that's the future we want to avoid, right? (laughs) We don't want the computers taking over uh, and getting rid of us. We don't want Skynet coming online and causing a nuclear war that destroys humanity and then sending the Terminators out, right, as depicted in the Terminator franchise. I could go on with so many more uh, pop culture examples, right? How many of you have seen Her in recent years? There's so many more right? Uh, powerful movies about this. So that question last summer about whether an AI had already become sentient, uh, not in some imagined sci-fi future, but in our present reality, um, was you know, a wake-up call. Now, Google denied the allegation, and I think they are correct, and that engineer was fired the next month. In the meantime, though, the Internet was set ablaze with questions about the future of AI. So that flashpoint this summer persuaded me to schedule this Darwin Day sermon on AI. But as Catherine said earlier in the spoken meditation, but wait, there's more. Because in the fall, the plot thickened. Uh, A few months ago in November, the research lab OpenAI released the first public version of ChatGPT. Uh, which is their version of Google's Lambda chatbot, which is the chatbot that that engineer thought uh, had become sentient. Headlines began exploding again about the the future implications of artificial intelligence. ChatGPT is a website, that's the one where I typed in, write a sermon about artificial intelligence for a Unitarian Universalist congregation. And with the seconds, it had generated those 350 words, fairly impressive, that, that Catherine read earlier. Now, how many of you have played around with ChatGPT or a similar chatbot? So I don't see many hands. It's really good I'm doing this sermon if there's only like five of you that have played. Okay, I see. Oh, Kevin. Kevin was probably playing around with the beta version before it was even released. Uh, um... So no, I saw a few hands out there, that's good. But, um, so to be honest, 350 words does not make a sermon, right? That's about 2,000 words short. But that free version of ChatGPT that's currently available, it has built-in limitations because it, it doesn't want to stress out the, the, the chatbot. It's producing you know, less than it could be because everyone's using it. Also remember that internet adage. If you're not paying for the product, who's the product? You are, right? If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. The free version of ChatGPT is constantly learning, improving evolving from all the uses that we humans are doing of it right now. And I would almost guarantee a future paid version of GPT. It'll probably be freed, but if you want the 2,000-word sermon, you're going to have to to pay for it. It's likely coming soon that's probably capable of producing um, fairly convincing full-length sermons, full-length college-level papers, and much more. If your job involves writing, perhaps you can think of ways that these AI-powered tools could probably make your job both better and worse or easier or threatened uh, in the coming years. So if I had been asked to grade that AI-generated spoken meditation we heard earlier, I wouldn't give it an A. It was a a little wooden, uh, not the most elegantly written piece of prose. But if I didn't know that it had been written by an AI, I might have given it a B. It is clearly written. It had some perceptive insights. And can you get the sense that that could get people started, right? Instead of looking at a blank page, that you get that 350 words and then you expand it, but it kind of gives you the the skeletal structure to to work with. So how are these AI feats possible? At the the, risk of oversimplification, these AI chatbots have been trained on a massive amount of data about how we humans really do communicate all that stuff that's available out there on the internet, as well as various digital archives of books, uh, et cetera. The AI, AI uses all that data. It's basically, you know the auto, the auto when, when your phone like guesses what you're going to say next and it tries to autocomplete? It's like autocomplete on steroids, basically. Uh, the AI uses all that data to predict the next most likely word and then the next most likely word after that and after that. And after that. And the result is these new original texts that can feel deceptively human like. Indeed, so deceptively human like that that AI engineer working with the full, not limited um, version of ChatGBT, well, Lambda in this case, thought that it had become sentient, had really tipped over into sentience. So, I want us to reflect on the implications of these technological advances, advances, the ones that have already happened and the ones that may be to come. But first, there's one more important piece that I want to get out on the table. We've been focusing so far on text-based AI, but wait, there's more. Uh, This fall, there was still more breaking news, this time about uh, the power of AI to generate original visual images, not just text. Similar to these chatbots, these AI um, image generators are trained on the huge number of digital images out there on the internet, out there in various archives. Uh, And the way this works is in in response to a text description, the AI starts with uh, a bunch of pixels and through a process called diffusion, it continually refines those principles until it's closer and closer to a visual representation of whatever you've typed in. Some of the most well-known are MidJourney or also um, DALL-E 2. How many of you have played around with either of these? Mid-Journey, e 2, or any... Okay, so again, similar, a few hands. So OpenAI's DALL-E 2 is named after the surrealist artist Salvador Dali, as well as WALL-E uh, from the, the Pixar film. So that's where you get DALL-E 2. Uh, you can think of the most random things and that AI can generate a visual representation incredibly quickly. Uh, You can all go home and play with all this. Uh, It's all, you know, ChatGPT, MidJourney, Dolly2. So a famous example that AI, that OpenAI used uh, to begin to uh, create the buzz around this is they typed in, teddy bears working on new AI research underwater using 90s technology. (laughs) And within seconds, they got this. (laughs) Pretty good, right? I mean, it looks photorealistic, but it is completely computer-generated within seconds. Let me give you a few examples that I created, and for most of them, I'll give you a point of reference to the original uh, artwork that I'm riffing off of. So uh, many of you will be familiar with The Scream, right? By Edvard Munch, the late into the 19th century. This, this agonized face, of course, there's the horror movie, The Scream, right? That repopularized it, but uh, this agonized face is one of the most iconic representations of human existential angst or anxiety. Uh, since I'm a meditation teacher and the first noble truth is that life is suffering, I wondered what would it have looked like if Munch had been a Buddhist? So I typed into Dolly 2, show me a Buddha statue in the style of Edvard Munch. Within seconds, it produced four images. <laughs> At least to me, actually, I think these are pretty profound. Um, And note also that it generates not one, but four options. And then you can choose which of these four. It'll then generate four more, pretty similar to that. And you can kind of keep going until it gets what you're actually looking for to kind of refine and co-create an image. I'm also a big fan of the Mexican painter uh, Frida Kahlo. This is one of her self-portraits. So I thought, what if we had a Buddha statue in the style of Frida Kahlo? Again, these images to me at least feel quite profound, worth meditating on even. Whereas that scream Buddha feels like it's like kind of tearing my heart open, you know, and kind of uh, facing the existential anxiety of this reality in which we find ourselves. My response to this Frida Kahlo Buddha feels like a softening, you know, kind of a softening into a serene um, beauty. Or what if we start with one of the most famous paintings of all time, right? Van Van Gogh, right? Van Gogh's uh, The Starry Night. What if Van Gogh had been a Buddhist? Show me Buddha statue in the style of Vincent Van Gogh. I actually think these are really lovely uh, as well. Uh, I could actually envision a day long meditation retreat built around these three sets of images that we've been uh, exploring. Okay, enough Buddhism. I know that's not everyone's jam. Uh, Since the surrealist painter Salvador Dali is the the namesake of the AI tool that generated these images, what if Dali had been born not in Spain, but in India? So show me Hindu images in the style of Salvador Dali. There's Dali's famous uh, painting of time. There you go. Uh, Hindu images in the style. I think these are super interesting as well. Or here's the Hindu goddess Kali. What if Rembrandt had converted to Hinduism and started painting Kali? I actually really love these too. This kind of Rembrandt's play uh, on light. Or since I'll be leading a pilgrimage to Israel and Palestine this summer, here's the Al-Aqsa Mosque that's in the old city of Jerusalem, what if the French Imp- Impressionist painter Claude Monet had moved to the Holy Land to paint landscapes? I think these are remarkable too. Or what about Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, famous for her uh, incredible paintings of New Mexico landscapes? What if her muse had ag- again been Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque? Or Pablo Picasso, you know, the founder of the Cubist movement. What if he'd been a Christian? <laughs> Cubist Christianity, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> or just two more for me. Uh, I wonder how many of you know uh, Clementine Hunter. Uh, I lived. I see a few hands. I lived in Louisiana for many years. Uh, a remarkable self-taught um, Black folk artist. What if Clementine Hunter had been a pr- practitioner of the traditional African religion of Yoruba? Show me Yoruba religious images in the style of Clementine Hunter. Now, that's a fairly obscure request, right? But it turns out this AI knows all about Clementine Hunter, knows all about Yoruba, and within seconds can produce this, a combination of the two. Or I was on Zoom the other day with my uh, meditation teacher cohort, and we were thinking about how you, know, you can incorporate mid-journey and things like that into your meditation teacher practice. We were kind of playing around using Zoom, shared screen with mid-journey, and someone said, what about if a possum experienced uh, Buddhist enlightenment? <laughs> It is right. It is a children's book. No, I mean that's a that's really good, right? That's I mean, that's really good. Uh, okay, I know that was a lot of images, but that's actually part of the point. In total, it took me a matter of minutes to produce all of those. Even the most talented and efficient human artist would require vastly more time to research and create anything like we've just seen. It's all kind of ethical stuff to talk about, like that. You know, we we can talk about all that, but. The images I've been showing you also are very quick ones. Uh, If you keep working with the AI, it can continue to enhance and improve your images. Here's a final example of an AI-generated image that won first place this past fall at the Colorado State Fair art competition. It's so finely detailed that the judges had no idea that a human hadn't touched this. It was completely AI-generated. So I think you get the idea that the current state of AI is already incredibly impressive and it's getting better and improving all the time. To give you just one point of reference, a senior analyst who studies AI risk professionally was quoted in the New York Times as saying that she currently estimates there's a 35% chance of what is called transformational AI. Transformational AI is defined as AI that is good enough to usher in large-scale economic economic and societal changes, such as eliminating most white-collar knowledge jobs. There's a 35% chance that transformational AI is coming by 2036. That's 13 years from now. Now there's a 66% chance it won't, but 35% is still pretty high, right? The larger point is that transformational AI is likely coming within the lifespan of humans who are alive right now. Programs like ChatGPT are already being used to write screenplays, to compose marketing emails, you know, ChatGPT, write me a marketing email to convince da-da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever you're trying to do, Uh, to develop video games, you know, develop the plot and the pictures and all of that. What about finance professionals? Are they safe? Well, starting in 2017, quite a few years ago, J.P. Morgan Chase has been using AI to almost instantaneously review certain types of financial contracts that previous, previously took more than 300,000 human hours to review annually. That's a lot of people's jobs right there, right? What about doctors? Well, in 2018, AI was developed that could diagnose brain cancer and other diseases faster and more accurately than a team of 15 top doctors. And that identified malignant tumors on a CT scan with an error rate 20 times lower than human radiologists. What about lawyers? An AI trained to spot legal issues in contracts has been shown to have a 94% accuracy rate, whereas humans tend to have a 85% accuracy rate. The humans also needed 92 minutes on average to complete the task. The AI needed 26 seconds. 26 seconds to have a 10% better accuracy rate. And when you're getting billed by the hour, AI is starting to look better all the time. What about therapists, as Catherine mentioned in the uh, spoken meditation? That might sound terrible at first, and it's not like you might want a both and, but what if an AI was programmed with an exact precise recall beyond what any human could ever hold uh, computationally of all of the best therapy in the world, all the best evidence-based ways of responding to whatever is said, and was willing to patiently listen to you as long as you need, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, I could keep on going with other professions, including my own. What happens when, we, when you upload every UU sermon that's ever been preached along with every book? And you have, you know, you can kind of see where some of this can go. Futurists are likely correct that artificial intelligence, cloning, genetic engineering, virtual reality, robots, nanotechnology, uh, space colonization, autonomous machines, they're all coming one way Or another and there's a lot to say about all that we can explore some of that in future sunday services but regardless of what technological innovations the future holds here's the important part our challenge in light of our uu values is to demand that human rights and environmental rights are part of the equation of whatever future we're going to enter into right People, planet, profit, as many of you have heard me say before, the triple bottom line. We need to be honest that there are fortunate people like me, and likely a number of you as well, who love their jobs or love most or much of their jobs, but for a lot of humans on this planet, jobs actually aren't great. The hours are long, the work isn't life-giving. In those cases, maybe the news that robots are coming for your jobs, they're like, great, you can have them. (laughs) What's so great about jobs? Except that we tie health insurance to them, our self-worth to them, and all of that. Psychologists, though, have long reminded us that what truly makes life worth giving, what people say on their deathbed, is often not, I wish I had spent more time at work. Right? No. What makes life worth living is meaning. We just need things that give us meaning. If AI and robots can take over many or most of our jobs, one option is to refocus our lives on creating community on cultivating hobbies, on getting out and enjoying this beautiful world in which we find ourselves, spending time with family and friends, and so much more. That doesn't sound like such a bad future. To be honest, such a future could also include a lot of people playing video games all day, but that's also part of the, part of the challenge, all part of co-creating the world that we all want to live in. In the words of one philosopher who studies uh, the future of existential threats to humanity, he said, there is a long-distance race happening right now between humanity's technological capability, which is like a stallion galloping across the field. Our technology is like a stallion galloping along the field. And humanity's wisdom, which is more like a foal on unsteady legs. We're in this race, and our wisdom game needs to get upped and fast. As many of you have heard me discuss before in the face of coming advances in AI, one major tool for maintaining human rights will be universal basic income. How do we pay for that? We do it in part by taxing all the money that's being made from AI. If the robots are taking our jobs, we are fools if we allow tech billionaires to just amass all that wealth for themselves. We are fools if we allow billionaires to exist in the first place. That's a separate sermon. Um, It's not that we all need to be equal, but this extreme wealth gap is a toxic cancer on our society. Uh, We need to mandate that wealth be shared so that all human beings at least have enough. Uh, As you've heard me say before, we're talking about a stable floor for all so that everyone can live a simple, dignified life at a minimum. We don't have to reject technology, but we must demand that neither humans nor the environment are left behind. In the words of the technology columnist uh, Kevin Roos, there is no looming machine takeover per se. There's no army of malevolent robots that are plotting to rise up and enslave us. It's just people. It's just people deciding what kind of society we want. So, we the people, what kind of society do we want? What is our consent of the governed, or lack thereof? Our choice is whether we will passively let technology and tech billionaires shape us and use us, or whether we will choose skillfully, wisely, and compassionately to use technology. As we hold these future possibilities in our heart, as we discern how are we called individually, how are we called collectively? Uh, let's rise in body or spirit. Let's sing a hymn that is all about the ways that our UU values continue to evolve and adapt to new situations as our world continues to change. Let's sing together hymn 113: Where is our holy church? Give you another example of kind of what ai can do i asked it quickly to uh taking our first hymn the faith of the larger liberty that we sang i said write new hymn lyrics to the tune the hymn tune which is mit freunden's Art. you know there's a there's a long tradition of taking like german beer drinking songs and like writing christian lyrics to them right so like uh uh so take write new hymn lyrics to the tune mit freunden's Art, uh, that apply the future of artificial intelligence to unitarian universalist principles so here's verse one. With AI by our side, our world will be transformed. A brighter future to abide, our goals will be confirmed. Here's the chorus. Unitarian, universalists, let us strive for peace and love. With the help of AI, our world will soar above. <laughs> verse two. With compassion and reason, we'll guide AI's path toward a future without division, a future free from wrath. With open hearts and minds, we'll build a better world where all are equal, humanity unfurled. So I did the same thing to the hymn we just sang, uh, write new hymn lyrics to the tune St. Michael about robots and the Unitarian Universalist principles. (laughs) Robots at our side, our world will be changed, a brighter future to abide, our goals rearranged. With compassion and reason, we'll guide their way toward a world without division, where all are equal to stay. With open hearts and minds, we'll build a better world where all are treated kind, our humanity unfurled. So I do think that, um, you know, there's this, and you get, that's pretty good, right? It's already like pretty good, and then it's like a basis, and then you can refine it. You can see how people are using this stuff. Uh, There's a saying that Uh, So the reason the Protestant Reformation happened was not because of Martin Luther exactly. It was because a guy named Johannes Gutenberg in 1455 invented the movable type printing press, right? So that in 1455 is what made Luther possible in 1517, that when he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, it wasn't just a voice crying in the wilderness. We could print those puppies up and ship around Europe. Uh, Protestant Reformation. Well, Google is the new Gutenberg, right? It, it's that paradigm shifting. It, it, it really is, uh, and, and other related things. Or maybe OpenEye is the new Gutenberg, but it's not alliterative. So we'll say Google is the new Gutenberg. I know Google's alphabet, don't at me. Uh, the, um, the other piece, uh, you know, some people would say that I'm not being radical enough by saying uh, universal basic income. I do think minimally we need something like that. Other people would say, you know, workers of the world unite, right? Seize the means of production. If you're not sure what I mean, go read some Marx, right? Um, The last piece I'll leave you with, though, is from Wendell Berry, because I talked about the importance of of wisdom. You know, our wisdom is like a foal, and our technology is like this galloping stallion. Uh, Wendell Berry, I think, is a source of wisdom in this technological age. He wrote, among his many profound books, one of my favorites is called, What Are People For? I love that question. You know, what are people for? Right? You know, and I think that's become all the more relevant and urgent an inquiry question in the age of technology. And part of how he answers that, my favorite essay in that book, it's a great book, but he's got an essay in that book that was written you know, decades ago called Why I Will Not Buy a Computer. And he said, the reason I will not buy a computer is that with a typewriter, I have already written too fast and too much compared to what I used to write with just a pencil. And with a computer, I think I'll just write faster and faster and more and more, but not necessarily better right? And he ends that essay by saying, in the age of a chainsaw, I have a friend who still chops his wood with an axe. I allow that man's memory to trouble my thoughts. May wisdom trouble our thoughts in the age of artificial intelligence. And wherever you're going from here and into the week to come, may you continue your journey with love. Care for one another. Care for this one earth. Whatever technology is coming, care for one another, care for this one earth, do justice, make peace, and whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, or peace, or joy, that goes with you out into the world. We are different for having spent this time together. May you live boldly. May you live with thanksgiving.